pastors here. I'm glad you're all here. And uh, some of these youngsters have been riding the bus for a long time. We really appreciate that. And folks, Phil, uh, you've ridden the bus. If, if, uh, if David just were deaf, it would be easier for him. It can get quite loud in that bus. Art just turns his hearing aids down, but it gets kind of loud in there. But you know what? It brings these kids here, and that is a blessing to me. And I, I look at some old pictures. Uh, you know, your Facebook comes up. My wife's Facebook comes up, and it shows eight years ago. Some of these still, kids were still were with us even eight years ago. Basically, they've grown up here. Do you know what a blessing that is? In this world, very few homes are solid and stable. We'll look at that this morning somewhat. Very few homes are solid and stable, and very rarely do people actually take their kids to church and have church a part of their lives. And what a blessing to see when people are doing so. It makes a difference, does it? That doesn't guarantee your kids are, are uh, going to turn out perfectly. No kids turn out perfectly, but what it does do is it exposes them to the right thing. When out in the world, they get exposed to a whole bunch of wrong stuff. A whole bunch of it. We appreciate that. Now, I want to look at this. Uh, I was ready to do this Wednesday night, and then I thought, you know, maybe I should save that till Sunday. I just, now I'm going to go ahead and do it Wednesday night, and then we had to cancel Wednesday night. So I guess the Lord wanted me to do it this morning. I've preached from this passage, two passages. Look at Revelation chapter 2. I've done it several times, and it's something we'll continue to do because there is a right way to do uh, uh, things. There's a wrong way to do things. But there's a right way to do the right, uh, the right, there's a wrong way to do the right things too. Do you follow me? You, this is a, something to uh, illustrate to you, and it's so important to each one of us. If you look at Revelation chapter 2, in verse 1 it says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works. Now look at this list. This is written to a church, Ephesus. Remember, uh, uh, this is uh, in Macedonia, I believe it is. And there was a church founded there. And there's a whole bunch in the book of Acts about the church at Ephesus. And so this is to that church. And of course, it represents a church in the latter days too. But uh, this is true of churches all over the place. This is true of your home. This is true of your personal life. And it's that important that we understand this. It says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Is there anything bad about that? Man, that's a, pretty good, that's a pretty good list of things they're qualified for. They've not even quit. Sometimes you feel like quitting. Sometimes quitting is the hardest thing uh, to resist when you're just trying to do right and people don't appreciate it. People won't listen, but he says, I know your works. God says, I know your works. I know your labor. They labored for the Lord. I know your patience. They were patient to let God have his perfect work in, the, um, in their ministries. Uh, they were discerning, and you can go through this whole list down in verse 3. You have born, have patience. says that patience once again. There's no criticism there. That was a church that was faithful. They were doing the right things. But look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, many times, 
leaving your first love and adultery are similar. In other words, you weren't faithful to the love that God showed you. You were faithful to someone else. You pursued someone else. And this is a mild rebuke. I have somewhat against thee. They were doing the right things. But there was just something missing. And we, to be right with God, we want to make sure we take care of even the details of our lives, don't we? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. This is a church that was praised for all that they were doing, and yet God said, you need to repent. So this is what the danger of growing cold is. If you look over in chapter 3, look at verse 1. Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God." This isn't the same endorsement, is it? This isn't praising them for all the things that were praised in Ephesus, but they're doing the job. They're serving God. And notice the next verse. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now, this wasn't a church that had just grown cold. They'd certainly grown formal. But the church at Ephesus, this is a common problem in a good church. It's a common problem in any church. But I want to emphasize in, ch in chapter 2, where it's to the church at Ephesus, they were doing so many good things, but they'd let their love grow cold. They'd let their love grow cold. You notice they were laboring. They were patient. It wasn't idolatry they were uh, uh, going after, being uh, tempted by. Probably, probably they weren't forsaking the Lord. It's probably true they were just neglecting Him. Just neglecting Him. And you're gonna, we're, we're going to look at this as, as far as the church is concerned and our hearts. But, you know, these same principles apply in our homes. I see more and more as I counsel people that the quality of your home has everything to do with the success of your kids in the future. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, 50 years after your kids leave home that you're responsible for everything they've done. They're big kids. They, they've grown up and all that. But look at the stability that comes about from coming in this, from a stable home. Look at the stability of knowing your mom and dad love each other, and they're not fighting and squabbling and making uh, problems in that way, that whenever you have a bad day at school, and I had a few of those bad days, uh, but if you had a bad day at school when you came home, you knew it was a stable place, even if you answered for some things. My dad saw every detail. I don't see the details like he did. My students, when I taught school, thought I had eyes in my back, the back of my head. No, I just remembered what I did when I was in school, and I knew what to look for. But you notice, when you have a stable home to go to, man, it makes everything different. It makes everything different. When you have a stable church home to go to, it makes everything different. What do you suppose are the two biggest things that the devil is going to attack in our day as he has attacked in every day? It's going to be the church and the home. And the best thing in your home is this, don't let your love grow cold. 
The best thing in church, don't let your love grow cold. In other words, you can do all the right things, but when your heart's not in it like it should be, there's a problem and God says you need to repent. This is a consistent problem for believers. Here it's in the church. It could even be in your jobs. When someone just gets on fast, you know, on autopilot, they won't do their job as well as they have done it in the past. We don't want to be on autopilot as believers, whether it's at home or in church. And all that happens is you just grow a little bit cold. Just grow a little bit cold. Let's pray. Lord, bless this time together. I thank you for the message you laid on my heart. Lord, you wanted it for today, I guess. I just pray that you'd bless each of our hearts. Every one of us needs to hear it. Father, these were people doing the right things, and yet something was missing. They could have been uh, warmer and with more affection for thee and serving you with more consideration for the lost around them, Lord, even for the brethren. But Lord, teach us each individually what we should know and what we should practice here as a result of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing cold. You know what that's all about. Growing cold. If, <clears throat> if you're like most men, when you see that one that really attracts your attention, all of your thoughts are filled with him. Aren't they? Aren't they? I've said that many times. Your thoughts are filled with him. When I met Nora, I made excuses to run into her wherever she was. You remember what that was like. I suspect, I can't speak from a woman's perspective, but I suspect women do the same thing to some extent, don't they? But when you really are falling for someone, when you really notice someone, when you really care about someone, you want to be close to them. You want to be close to them. Hey, if your love has grown through the years, shouldn't it be even more wonderful when you come home each day at the end of the day? Just to go over the things of the, uh, this, that have happened during the day, have someone to share those things with. You see, growing cold is a danger for all of us. You know, first of all this, satisfaction happens in your life. It replaces the enthusiasm, maybe even the vision you once had. In Psalm 17, verse 15, this tells us what our satisfaction should be. In Psalm 17 and verse 15, I'm sure you've heard of this. It says this, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You know when satisfaction, when you can sit back and rest, you know when that happens for us? When we're completely made in his image in heaven then I'm satisfied. As you grow older in the Lord, I'm convinced people that walk with the Lord, the older you grow in the Lord, the more you realize how condescending God was in reaching down and saving us when we were lost. He loved us while we were unlovely. And he adopts us into his family. It lets us be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All those truths are there. What happens when you grow cold? You start getting satisfied short of the objective. You get satisfied short of the objective. You start focusing on earthly things instead of eternal things. Focusing on earthly things. Listen, I have a preacher friend. He's retired now. He, uh, he was a very, very good salesman. And he was trying to start a church while he's selling things for a big company. And his sales took off. And God convinced him he just needed to do one or the other. So he was just going to quit his job when they gave him a promotion. And he would have made horrible amounts of money because he was successful. You know what he did? He built a big church and handed it over to his son-in-law. Why? Because he wasn't his, God called him to the ministry. 
and the 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 uh, attraction, the lure of the world. Hey, there's nothing wrong with having a successful job, but God called him to the ministry and he pursued that, didn't he? Sometimes we focus on the earthly things. It's very difficult in some areas of our country because churches typically are small. And we have to combine uh, labor in this world with labor for the Lord and all of that. You dedicate all that to the Lord, but you make sure that you keep your focus on eternal things in your home. Make sure you keep your focus on home. Make sure you keep your focus on that. I'll have things interspersed today uh, about that. It'll just make a blessing to you. The Bible says in Proverbs 4, the wisest man that ever lived, in verse 23 it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. When your heart is right, other things fall into place. The things that happen, you know, when a child rebels, that's just a problem in their heart. The rebellion's a symptom. Hey, lots of times kids just want attention. They want attention. That doesn't justify the rebellion, but if I'm going through the emotion, just going through the motions, and I don't have a heart for that little darling, I'll react in the wrong way. We have to keep our heart with all diligence, aren't we? Sometimes these people who were discerning probably became pretty much full of themselves, didn't they? Because they had a right, and God didn't, chasten them for the doctrine that they practiced. God chastened them for the application of it. Hey, it's right to stand up for the right things. It's right to. But don't ever lose your heart. In Jude, it says this on our stationery. In Jude, it says, of some having compassion making a difference. There are all kinds of people in this world that are having a worse time than you can even imagine. One of the boys that attended church here, we shared this on Wednesday nights, one of the boys that attended church, here's a song leader for Brother James. His little girl has cancer. She's got two years. She's seven. She's got two years, I think it is, of chemotherapy in front of her. Wouldn't you hate to have a little seven-year-old in your home like that? You would, you would beg God. You, you would plead with him, and you would shower your affection on the little, that little one. Why? Because that's where your heart is. One of Jonathan's friends from college is going through two years of chemo. And Jonathan, you know, he thinks he's old. But that's Jonathan back there in the back. Uh, he thinks he's old, but he's not old, is he? But one of his college classmates is going through two years of chemo. How does that happen to us? People are going through rough times. You know, it's a blessing for them to know that they have a family that supports them, that welcomes them, that a church family will pray for them and support them and all of those things. This church was busy finding fault with people uh, along right uh, avenues, but they'd lost their heart for them. They'd lost their heart for them. Maybe they were just proud. We have this right and you don't. It might have been they just were kind of deaf to God's Spirit pleading with them. They might even have developed some unteachable attitude. Think about all these things in our homes. If I just turn a deaf ear to my wife or to my children, if I just get aggravated, if there's the slightest thing that interrupts my day, I don't have the heart that I once had. I don't have that heart anymore, do I? doesn't change the fact that I'm married. And when we, have a, when we lose our first love with our God, we haven't lost our salvation, but we're sure not enjoying it like we once were.
If you want to read about that, read about Psalm 51 where David repents. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. In other words, the joy was gone. How long did he live without joy and not realize it? I suspect he knew it. Something was missing. Remember the day you got saved, the day someone witnessed to you and the gospel was plain to you and you trusted Christ as your Savior? You know what happened? The Bible says, we're his workmanship. We're new creatures. So just like that, he creates us anew. He adopts us into his family. We have a different family now that we belong to. And in 1 John, as we look at Sunday nights, you'll find out that God implants love in your heart that wasn't there before. He gives you life. It's not just physical life. You already had that. He gives you a life that's more abundant than the world can even know. All those things change, and man, you want to share that with someone else. But after a while, the heart kind of grows cold, doesn't it? If, you know what I love about the gospel? God takes you from where you are. You don't clean up yourself to go to Jesus. He takes you just as you are because he died for us while we were sinners. And he takes us just where we are. People come and they come with baggage, all kinds of baggage. You know what God does? He just receives you, gives you eternal life and says, you know, you're part of my family now. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a blessing? Um, I don't know what all their problems were. Probably they started thinking that if these people would just listen to them, their lives would be better. They might have been right. They might have been right. The Bible doesn't condemn what they were saying, what they were standing for. It condemns how they, it reproves how they were going about it. When someone cares for you, they can say pretty much anything they want to. When you're not, concer- when you're not certain of their care for you, it's easy to have your feathers ruffled, isn't it? Well, they might have been impressed with themselves. I don't know, but, but uh, there's no criticism of their doctrine. It's criticism of their heart. They, their behavior was judged. It was no longer compassion. It was no longer the compassion they could have had. Maybe they were just descending into a contentious attitude. You know, if you go to church looking for a blessing, you're going to get blessed. If you go to church looking for something to criticize, you'll find something. And it really doesn't matter what's said. People have told me after a service, that was a blessing. That thing you said, that was just what I needed. I don't remember saying it. Sometimes they say this, that uh, that was the best message. I know it wasn't. You know why? This book is alive. And the Spirit of God that applies this book is alive. And He quickens your heart so your heart's alive. And so you can understand some things. And God, the great physician, does a work in your heart that no one else can do. No one else can do that. If contention becomes the the order of the day, we've lost our first love. We've left our first love, probably forsaken it. We want our lives to reflect the Holy Spirit of God. Have you ever thought about that? Bible says in the pastoral epistles, the servant of God must not strive, but be apt to teach and patient with all men and kind and all that. And that's what should be the rule of the day. But think about this for everyone. The fruit of the Spirit. When you got saved, God's Spirit came and took up residence in your heart. Yes, you have life. You have forgiveness. You're clean. You're justified as if you'd never sinned before God. You're going to heaven the day you trust Christ as Savior. But you still have the world and its practices and habits might be in your heart and your life. 
But when you got saved, he gave his spirit to you. And his Holy Spirit leads you into truth, directs your steps if you'll let him. And so much of the time, we don't spend time making sure the spirit of our flock is right. We don't spend the time and the effort to make sure the spirit of our home is right. My kids will call and they say, love you, Dad. In fact, one of my daughters won't hang up until I say I love you. I'm not particularly demonstrative, okay? And she'll say, love you, Dad. Dad, I love you too, sweetie. The kids will call. Why? They have fond memories of being at home. And I want home always to be home to my kids. You understand that? So many times people don't spend the time making sure the spirit of their home is right. That doesn't mean that, that there aren't rights that need to be, wrongs that need to be righted. That doesn't mean that there aren't mistakes and all of that, but it's home. It's home. My dad never threatened me with throwing me out of his family. I probably gave him reason to, okay? I was a boneheaded 17-year-old and 18-year-old and 16-year-old and all those things, just like most men. And my dad never threatened to throw my, wife, my, my mom out of the home. Why? Because we were a home, and we made that home a place of a haven of rest. We make a church a haven of rest. This is written to a church, and they are praised for what they stood for, but they said there's just something missing. There's something missing. Well, sometimes homes lose their joy. I'm sure that there are cycles in our lives where everything comes upon you at once. The bills come due and you don't have any money. The weather's bad, you can't even go to work. Uh, and you could go down, health might be a problem. You can go down the list of things that could go wrong in your home. But you know what? Jesus is still in your heart. His sweet Holy Spirit is giving you comfort the world knows nothing about. And that that Holy Spirit gives a husband the ability to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's what he tells us to do. And you look at the fruit of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's living in your heart because you got saved, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The world knows nothing of love. The world knows nothing of love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Do you realize that there, the whole book of Philippians was written, the theme of it is joy, and it's written from a miserable Roman prison. Paul is incarcerated as if he's a threat to the state, and he's not. And he tells you all about the joy you can have. We love the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. And what's the reason for that? Two people were arrested when, they, when it was unlawful to arrest them, Paul and Silas, and they were thrown in the deepest, darkest part of the prison and put in shackles. And at midnight, they just started singing praise to God. Hey, it took them to midnight to sing, didn't it? I'm not saying that's a criticism. You'd be licking your wounds and everything else. There are lots of reasons to be heartbroken or burdened. But don't let the joy of the Lord leave you. Don't let that leave you. Have you lost your joy? Is each one, we expect teenagers to a certain extent to uh, test the boundaries that parents have given to them. That doesn't make it right. But folks, you know what growing up is? 
learning to be considerate of others and not having to impose our will on everyone else. I suspect these people were trying to, they had the answers and they wanted to impose their will on other people. What's wrong with you? Why won't you come on board? And what they were saying probably wasn't wrong. He didn't criticize that. He just said, you're going about it wrong. Of some having compassion, making a difference. You know, someone can be weeping. I, I can't go into public and see some woman on a bench weeping without stopping and talking to her. I don't want to invade her privacy. I don't want to invade her space. I just want them to know someone cares for you. The psalmist says in 50th Psalm or thereabouts, he said, I looked at trials on every hand, but no man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. What you see in front of you today is a physical body that my soul lives in. It's a vehicle for my eternal being, my soul. It's quickened by the spirit, which the physical spirit is my breath. And it's made alive to God because the Holy Spirit quickens my physical spirit. That might not make a lot of sense to you, I don't know. But I know this, my spirit shows through, and I want that spirit that shows through to be the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. When I come beside someone, it could be a, an older woman, could be a young woman, could be a child, could be a man, whoever it is, if I see them heartbroken, I just want to go and ask, could I pray for you? Now, I could go and tell them, you loser, you're in the greatest country in America. That would be a foolish thing. By the way, I think we're the greatest country in the world. I still believe that. But people still have heartaches, don't they? You know nothing about what some people are bearing, and many times they bear it silently and probably alone. These people had a whole bunch of thinking right, but their practice wasn't what it could be. It wasn't what it could be. So satisfaction, short of the uh, eternal goal, uh, sets in. They lose their vision. But what's funny about this, they weren't condemned for what they stood for, for their discernment, nothing like that. It says in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent. You know what happens when our spirit's not right? I believe that's true in our homes too. It's a sin that needs to be repented of. I'm thinking about different people that in my uh, realm that are thinking about marriage. And I think, you know, the older I've gotten, the more convinced I am of a few things. Just look at simple things about marriage. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Didn't mean to go here, but I'm going to. Ephesians chapter number 5. And you know this verse very well. It says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know what the standard for us as husbands, uh, the standard of love is for us? To love our wives like Christ loved the church. That means my wife needs to know that I'd take a bullet for her. Didn't Christ die for the church? I want her security to be, to be there because I care for her. I demonstrate that, and I want to show Christ's love for me by showing that love for my wife. And that's not a suggestion. That's what it tells us. Husbands, love your wives. Now, it says in Titus that the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands. Um, it's not all that easy to love husbands, is it? 
But we're to teach, the, the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. But when you take upon you marriage, the Bible says husbands are to love their wives and provide them uh, for them as Christ loved the church. And this isn't the message here. It speaks of, of, in verse 29, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. You know what the Bible says? That a husband is to nourish our wives, feed them spiritually, provide for them physically, and just cherish them. So when they come home, they know they're in a place where they're appreciated. It's the same with church. Man, I was talking to someone when Spurgeon sat and looked at 5,000 or 6,000 people in his congregation every week, he could tell who wasn't there. Well, people sit pretty much in the same spot all the time. When I was a kid, my dad sat in the back of the church. Why? Because, and strangely enough, he had me sit right next to him. So if... I felt my dad just nudge me with his knee, got my attention. That was the first warning. Actually, it's the last warning. Okay? He didn't want to disturb the church. He, so Spurgeon could tell who was probably there and who wasn't by not sitting where they normally did. You know what that is? That's loving the people of your church. That's loving them just like Christ loved the church. But the one that, that comes back to me all the time is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Strangely enough, that very carnal church had problems in their homes. In chapter 7, it says, um, verse 32, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. When you take upon you the responsibility and the joys of marriage, then it says husbands are to consider how to please their wives. Now, two verses later, it says wives are to please their husbands too. You know what makes your home happy? When I'm trying to please my wife, as stumble bum as I might be, and she tries to please me and she's good at that. That makes the home knit together and makes it happy. It doesn't eliminate differences of opinion or anything like that, but that's what the Bible tells us to do. Now, do you suppose you're going to be happy if you don't do what the Bible says? By the way, on the same subject matter, it tells the church that we're to consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. We're to consider each other to make life better for, each and for everyone else. We're to think of others first, not ourselves. When we don't, sin is lurking, isn't it? There's a day of accounting. I don't have time to go to it, but in Psalm 51, it speaks of all the things that David said were true of his backslidden condition. Joy was gone. His desire to tell people about Jesus, folks, I know I'm going to heaven when I die because I trusted Christ as my Savior. If you don't know that, you don't have the same joy that I have. Why wouldn't I want to tell people that? Why wouldn't I want to tell people, this is how you can know you're going to heaven when you die. You trust Jesus as your personal Savior. There's a day of accounting. One of the problems with David was he didn't even feel like spreading uh, a knowledge of God with the people around him when he had sin in his heart. That means most likely the church in, Revela in Ephesus most likely that church wasn't reaching out so much to the community as taking the people and trying to program them inside the walls. 
Now, what they stood for was good, and we've come to a day where people think you should never stand for anything because it's judgmental. That'd be like going to your medicine cabinet and just mixing everything together, taking some of that. It's foolishness, isn't it? No, you have to have some discernment. There's a day of accounting. How long could the man after God's own heart live with the joy of his of the Lord gone, with a desire to speak of of God gone, with a sin ever before his face? The fact that he felt dirty, how long could he go like that? He went like that until God used a common, ordinary preacher, a prophet, to come and speak to him. There's a day of accounting. We're responsible. You know, what we do is we have to recognize that everything is not someone else's fault. He says, you've stood up for some good things, but you've left some things behind that were important. You need to repent of that. You need to repent of that. You acknowledge your sin. That's what David did in Psalm 51. I acknowledge my sin. My sin is ever before me. Ever before me. You want spiritual growth, not just intellectual growth. They had the intellectual growth down, and I'm convinced that we need to learn the Bible. And many times problems come because of ignorance of the Scriptures and we're supposed to know the Bible, but we're supposed to apply it in the, with the Spirit of God. We repent. Can't blame others. Can't change others. That's, that's the solution. You repent. Do you know the next thing it says? Remember from whence you were fallen. Remember from whence you were fallen. You remember what it was like? Remember what it was like? I remember, I remember meeting Nora for the first time. And it would be true for any one of you. If you meet that one you want to spend your life with, you remember what, was, what it was like. For a man, it, it just messes your head up, or at least it did me. Messes your head up. Why? Because that fills your vision. Isn't that what Jesus is supposed to do for us? Fill all of our vision? To fill our vision, you remember where you came from. But you know, it's not just remembering the joy you had in meeting Jesus. It's remembering where you came from. Think of that thief on the cross that joined in deriding Jesus, saying, if you're the Son of God, come down and save us too. He didn't deserve saving. He was there justly. He said himself. But when he saw how Jesus responded to the vile and vicious attacks they leveled at him, he said, why don't you guys hush up? We deserve to be here. He doesn't. Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. That means he, went, he left that cross and went immediately to a place of comfort. In the Old Testament, that was the paradise. That was what was carried captive. Those, that thief is in heaven today. He's in heaven today. The last of the Old Testament saints, maybe. But remember where you came from. Remember where others come from. I've had friends that They knew what was right, and they didn't do it for 20 or 30 years and wasted a lot of years of their lives not doing what they knew to be right. They finally get right, and guess what they do? They get impatient with the people who did the same thing they did for 25 years. That's in every one of us, isn't it? 
And hey, hey, we're right. We know we came out of that. You just need this. You mean no one ever told you that in 25 years? You know what having the right spirit is? You take people from where they are and try to let God fill their needs, uh, fulfill their needs, and be a blessing to them. So where others come from? Probably the same place you came. And you know, when you got saved, the first thing you wanted when you got saved was you wanted to know more about God, didn't you? You had a hunger and a thirst you didn't have before. He says, he says this, you remember, you repent, and you return. There was a day when your thoughts were filled with your bride. That's what I can think of. I suspect brides filled with the thoughts of their husbands. There was a day when that's all you could think of. And you'd concentrate on your work, but it'd come back and haunt you, wouldn't it? Because that's whom you love. There was a day when you loved the Lord. You came to, to salvation. And so much of the time, it might even be other saints that are impatient with you. They kind of dim the glow of the Savior through your heart. And you just kind of cool down. And eventually, some people either just quit coming or they just lose the joy of the Lord. You're still saved. But you know, when you come to know Jesus, he adopts you in his family. Isn't it wonderful to know that family extends not only across the whole country, but across the world. Across the world. Imagine that. People are listening to our services in 15 or 18 countries around the world. Why? Because we're all part of one family. All part of one family. There was a day when you were early to church, a day when you were eager to get home. There was a day when you were quick to give. There was a day when you appreciated the smallest of things. I called my sister yesterday and said, you know, I didn't get a card in, your, in the mail for you. She says, uh, and she is getting old. Now, if she watches this, I'm in big trouble. But so I just told her how she was celebrating turning 39. Every year now for quite a few years, she's been celebrating turning 39. Tomorrow's my other sister's birthday. I'll call her and tell her the same thing. Okay? I have two sisters and a brother that I talk to every week. Every week. And I enjoy the time I get to go and see them. I talk to my mom. I enjoy talking to my family. Just think what heaven's going to be. Just think. And these are people that had good intentions for people. Maybe they just went about it wrong. Maybe they just went about it wrong. At home, at home, if the world's going to pot, and it is, at home you can shut that all out and enjoy the company of those you love the most. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? I, I look at my wife, and, and she knows exactly what I'm thinking. And I can look at her, and she looks up because she knows that I'm looking at her. You understand that? And I do that to torment her as much as possible. Why? Because we enjoy laughing together. Not all the time. We've raised five kids. You don't always feel like laughing, do you? There are times that are tough. I remember in the early 60s, my dad came home from work. And he'd lost his job. Man, was I mad. I was about William's size. I was mad. You fired my dad? Let me at him. You know, I'm this tall. Why? 
that was, that was the center of my world, my home. Church should be the center of our spiritual world too, shouldn't it? Well, when we're together, we're happily sacrificing. We're, we're considering one another. We're seeking to please one another, cherishing one another, having a burden for the souls out there that don't know Jesus. You know, we need to make sure we do this. We cultivate our heart more than our head. Lord, let my heart always be tender. That doesn't mean you don't learn. You don't grow intellectually too. But Lord, let my heart always be soft. If you look at John, I was thinking about the various roads that the apostles took. Peter, he had self-confidence. Everyone else will deny you, but not me. A day didn't go by before he denied him. Jesus was surrounded by 12 apostles that went everywhere with him for three and a half years. All of them forsook him, and one of them betrayed him. And he still hung on that cross for their sins. But Peter got humbled, and he went on to shake the world, didn't he? What about Paul? He went from a persecutor to the persecuted. But the one I'd address your attention to is John. John was one of the sons of thunder. And we're looking at 1 John tonight, and it's true of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. The love of God is all over those pages. But what did Jesus call John and his brother? The sons of thunder. You don't call the sons of thunder someone that's meek and quiet. And you know what God's Spirit did in their lives? Changed, the, it changed John into the apostle of love. He stood straight and true on all the truths of the Word. In fact, he's the author, the earthly author of our text today. You've, you've left your first love. Well, whose company do you seek out? Whose company do you seek out? Whose approval do you seek? What price are you willing to pay for attention? Hey, I just want the Holy Spirit to affect His will in my life and give me the compassion and the love that I wouldn't naturally have and take me to the place that I wouldn't naturally go and give me comfort that no one else can give and make my life make a difference in people's lives that I don't even know everything about them. You've left your first love. And you know there's a solution to that. You acknowledge it. You repent. And you go back and start doing the same things you did when you first fell in love. You first fell in love. It's simple, isn't it? And yet it's a common and a constant battle in our hearts if you don't Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, sure thank you for your goodness today, Lord. I thank you for how plain this is, that we love you first and foremost. And yes, there are times our message is full of judgment, as Jude also says, but many times people respond just because we care for them. Lord, give us hearts of compassion, build our homes up, build our church up, and Lord, help us to see these seats filled up with people who also want to be a part of that body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming. You come back tonight if you can. Bring someone. And if the prognosticators, the ones that guess about...